This is the MG Car Club podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, we're joined by Danny Hopkins, editor of Practical Classics magazine in their 40th year to chat about how Practical Classics as a magazine has changed and also some of Danny's best memories from MG ownership. The MG Car Club podcast. Hello and welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Wayne Scott with you here. Adam over there in Kimber House. Hello mate, how you doing? Very good indeed. And here we are, the middle of October, well actually nearly the end of October already. And uh, lots of stuff still happening on the MG front. And in particular, there's been a fantastic new development for modern MGs in a part of the world that you wouldn't expect to have MGs. Tell us more, Adam. Yeah, so we were surprised uh, last week to see the news that MG have launched in Mexico. We weren't aware that they were going to be doing that, but the first thing that I heard about it was when I saw um, an MG Mexico page pop up on on Facebook. Um, And I got in touch with our colleagues in China who were very quick to tell us exactly what they were doing. And uh, yeah, the brand has now launched in China with a range of three cars. They've launched with a petrol version of the MG5, so that's not our estate MG5, but rather the saloon version of that same car. Um, So that's a a 1.5 petrol version of that car. They've got the ZS uh, as a petrol, same as uh, we got over here. And they've got the HS with a choice of either the 1.5 turbo that we get in the UK or the 2 litre that you can also get in, in other markets. So that's their first three cars. They are aiming to have something like 17 dealers by the end of the year. So that's going to be pretty quick uh, startup considering, you know, we're nearly in November. Um, and like us here in the UK, all three of those cars are backed by MG's seven-year warranty. So, yeah, really exciting. And a part of the world you wouldn't expect to see MGs in, I guess this is all part of this strategy that we've mentioned many times before on the podcast about their idea of having a million sales in new markets worldwide before the anniversary of MG in a couple of years' time. And I I suppose what they're doing here is sweeping up little niche markets almost that other manufacturers either are doing already but badly or haven't bothered to do um and in particular interesting to see the number of internal combustion engines still planned there well that's probably because mexico's uh, electric grid or infrastructure for evs isn't quite as advanced as some other places in the world it's an interesting move isn't it but it's a market that not many others i suppose are focusing on yeah, I think as we've seen with the launch of the electric cars here in the UK, uh, MGR identifying opportunities and doing very well at identifying those opportunities. And they obviously can sense uh, an opportunity for growth in the sort of Central American market. They're already selling in a number of South American markets. So it's not surprising to see them inching closer and closer towards North America. And I know there will be many MG enthusiasts in, in the US and in Canada that will be hoping that at some point fairly soon, MG might hop over the border again. 
Um, but yeah, it's interesting. They, they are planning to launch the ZSEV in Mexico in early 2021. So that will sort of add to the to the range again with another vehicle. Uh, but yeah, it's really exciting to see MG popping up in another corner of the world. Once upon a time, of course, America was the big market for MG. It was where really MG made the most of their sales, especially in the post-war period. That famous story of American servicemen taking back uh, their MG TCs after the war and after being posted to the UK through the 1950s and telling everyone in America of this fantastic little British car brand that was making these little sports cars. Um, interesting to see that virtually America is last on the list now when it comes to new markets and emerging places to sell cars to. Of course, as things shift and the Far East is uh, more of a focus for the automotive industry as we move into a new era, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a difficult market, isn't it, the US market? You know, you've got to think about the, the number of players that already exist in that marketplace. Um, and then you add in, you know, that American customers are very, very selective. Um, and then, of course, the quality of the cars has got to be right, because as we know, it can be a fairly litigious place, the US, and I'm sure the last thing that um, MG want is to find themselves on the wrong end of some legal action because, I don't know, a cup holder is the wrong size or the carpets are too dark or, you know, you can you can see some sort of wacky lawsuit sort of derailing that action. But um, funnily enough, I was in the archive the other day and I found a guidebook to the 1977 factory open day. And in that book, it stated that 80% of the cars built here in Abingdon, uh, of course, at that time, it was MGB, uh, MGB GT and the midget. Um, 80% of those cars produced in 1977 were sent straight to the United States. So America really was a huge market. And despite having not been there for over 40 years now, I still think that if MG were to return, particularly with some slinky, affordable electric sports car, nostalgia would certainly help them get a lot of sales and get a lot of traction with the with the media absolutely well perhaps they ought to bring back a car that would capture the hearts and minds of americans again we'll see what happens in the future uh, but talking of capturing hearts and minds adam i don't know about you i spotted something <laughs> on social media and i am very tempted it's really interesting because i have no idea what money this car is going to go for i don't know if you saw this it's at cca classic car auctions and it's a ZT, 2004 model in British racing green, frankly, the only colour for an MG, apart from all the others that also look great. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, it's a 1.8 turbo and it's covered six miles from the factory. Yes. And it's on our MG Car Club Facebook page at the moment. It's in the CCA December 2020 sale and it is stunning. What do you reckon? Do you think that's going to go for big money or? I mean, I just I shared it on the MG Car Club Facebook page simply with the hashtag Save Our Zeds <laughs> because the campaign <laughs> continues. Uh, but this is a sort of car. I don't know. It's one of those cars that it's almost too good to use, actually, or to just go in a museum. But it's uh, it's one of the facelift ZTs as well. So it's one of the later models for uh, 2004. But what a stunning car. Could this be the moment where the Zeds have their watershed moment where they become a classic car. It is a stunning car. It's a lovely looking car, especially in British Racing Green, as you say. However, 
Mm-hmm. I always have an issue with cars like this. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. I because remember the conversation you had with a certain MGB owner at the NEC Classic Motor it? Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, 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 do, what do you do with it? Like, you can't, if you spend big money on it to secure it and you've got this beautiful brand new late model ZT, you can't drive it because if you drive it, it just becomes another used ZT. If you put it in a, in a collection somewhere and run a duster over it once a week, that's lovely, but you don't get to enjoy it. So it's 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 really difficult. It's really difficult. My um, take on it is I think this is a car that needs to go into a museum or a collection, preserved and not used, and I know that's sad, but look at it this way. There are not many ZTs left. We know this because of our Save Our Zeds campaign. We know the fact that more are getting scrapped than getting saved. So preserve this one, put it in a museum, in a glass box, and this is our template from which to restore all the other ZTs out there that we can go and use. If you need to find a bit or know where something fits, this is the place you come and look. This is the car. And perhaps by not being used and being kept somewhere where people can easily access it for reference, perhaps this is the car that will help to save all of the other ZTs out there. That's my take so, on it. So what you're saying is, you know that, that big seed vault in Sweden or Norway or wherever it is, What that's what we need for MGs. We need a big vault somewhere massive, you know, underground, where we can put all the MGs, and if someone says that they need to restore their metro they can come they can pull their car out our car out of the archive scan it and then reproduce their own parts based on our archive example not necessarily reproduce their own parts but find out which bit that it needs or which bit goes where or how it should look do you know what i mean like how things should fit together because often when you're restoring stuff you're trying to you kind of can work it out but unless you've got another car to look at then it's really sometimes quite difficult, especially with complex cars like like these. But yeah, effectively, yeah, this is like our pattern, our archive pattern for saving all ZTs in the future. And I like the un- idea of an underground bunker, perhaps filled... Like a Bond layer. Like a Bond layer, <laughs> yeah. Or perhaps filled with formaldehyde. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain cars that should be templates for others, and perhaps this is one of them. So... An underground layer, perfect idea, Adam. Um, which bit of the car parking are you going to start digging in first? <laughs> <laughs> I'll start under the yew tree just outside my office. Okay, right. Okay. I'll, I'll come down with my own spade and I'll give you a hand. <laughs> good man. Good man. Now, if we're talking about buying cars, mm-hmm. then I would like to, uh, to raise your idea of buying a, a ZT by suggesting uh, a 1970 MG1300 that I found on sale <laughs> on facebook um it's a snip at just six thousand seven hundred and fifty pounds and this thing looks stunning you've been after it's one of a, them for a time immemorial you have oh mate i've always wanted one. this one is in two-tone blue so uh the the lower half is uh finished in a in a sky blue which if you know me you'll know that sky blue is one of my very favorite colors um while the top half is finished in sort of like a dark sort of pageant blue uh and it just looks lovely it looks so clean. And when was the last time you saw an MG1300? Well, I was going to say, they are proper rare cars now. Um, 
I mean, even the Austin version, which was made in much bigger numbers, is rare because they weren't the sort of car that was saved, were they? Like the Zeds, and this is the risk that they have. They were kind of just everyday cars, and when they came to the end of their life, they were scrapped. No one ever thought they'd be classics, but especially the MG versions of the 1300, they, they're gorgeous. They need saving, yeah. and I think you're the man to save it, Adam. So if you'd like to donate uh, using the hashtag MGAID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's been infectious because I've started to look at them as well myself now when I've seen them at shows or whatever. There was that lovely one we had at Gaiden the other week and it was just beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah. A cute little car. Yeah, they are lovely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's another one to put in the vault then. So you best get digging. Well, talking to club stuff just for a moment, and uh, Bauer Media, who are the people who publish magazines that you'll be familiar with, uh, magazines like uh, Classic Cars, Classic Car Weekly, and Practical Classics, of course our old mate Danny Hopkins, editor of that, lots of MG content in there quite regularly, and they've come along and offered the MG Car Club uh, a good deal actually. It's also their birthday, like it's our 90th, it's Practical Classics 40th birthday, and so they've put on a good deal for our members, haven't they Adam? Yeah, so if you take out a subscription to Classic Cars, uh, Classic Car Weekly or Practical Classics, um, as an MG Car Club member you can actually get a 40% off at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's a really good deal for some really good reading, especially with the winter coming. You know, you're not going to be able to get out and use the car as much as you perhaps can during the nicer, lighter months. So um, yeah, why not snuggle up in front of a in front of a nice roaring fire and uh, see what Danny and the the guys have been up to in PC? Absolutely, it's uh, only open to MG Car Club members, so uh, you can only get this if you are one of our fully paid up Car Club members. And it's very easy to get hold of the code you need for that forty percent discount. Just go to mgcc.co.uk, log in. And it's in the members area there, or you can link to it through the news pages as well. And we'll be talking to Danny Hopkins on this podcast a little bit later on, all about the 40th anniversary of Practical Classics magazine. Uh, really one of the most popular classic car mags there is out there at the moment. Uh, always doing well and always a good team. Of course, uh, we usually see that team out at the NEC Classic Motor Show doing stuff on stage as they normally do, rebuilding cars in record quick time and other stuff. Uh, but of course, uh, the NEC classic motor show cancelled for 2020 owing to the ongoing pandemic of course that we're all enduring uh, we mustn't let this podcast adam pass without mention of well we're recording this on uh, wednesday the 28th of october 2020 if you're listening to this at some point in the future we are recording this on the very day of Don Hater's funeral. He, of course, being the man behind the MGB, the man that penned those famous lines uh, of the MGB. And, of course, we had a full tribute to Don on our podcast, episode 28. And, uh, well, really, just to mark the day that uh, uh, we say goodbye to Don, he was a great supporter of the mg car club a great friend to many a true mg fan himself he still drove his own mgb v8 and at the moment on social media on the facebook page people are paying tribute to don in their own way by uploading pictures of their own mgbs and nice to see some of them coming through so uh, it wouldn't be right adam would it to uh, let this podcast pass recording today as we are on the day of don hater's funeral just without mentioning him no, definitely. I know that um, John Watson and the MGB Register 
organised um, a procession of MGBs to follow Don's hearse this morning for the for the service, which I thought was a really lovely touch, and and that was um, a request from his wife Mary, um, and I know the the B Register have been sharing a lot of photos of MGBs on their social media. Just just looking now, um, there's a, a lovely photo from uh, a chap called Jonathan Moulds who has actually put a, a little black armband across the, the MG badge on the front of his BGT, a bit like how um, they do, the, the American police officers wear a, a black armband when, when one of their members have fallen. So, um, yeah, lovely, lovely touching tributes to, to someone who meant so much to so many people in, in the MG world. And I know that uh, John Lakey, who we had on with us, was at the, uh, was at the service today to get some photographs for, for Safety Fast and for the B Register. So, um, yeah, a lovely way to send off someone who, who meant so much to so many people in, in the MG world. Absolutely. And, of course, he was a guy that imparted so much of his knowledge and his stories and his memories of working at MG and being around MGs uh, for as long as he was. And that's kind of the importance of this podcast as well, is by recording people's memories, by recording, especially in our 90th anniversary year, recording the people that make this car club and the MG family across the world what it is. And it's important to keep a record of these things. And, and just while we're all still here able to do this, just to um, you know keep a record for future generations so people, legends like Don, are never forgotten for their contribution to the British motor industry. Talking of Classic Car Weekly, uh, avid readers of that newspaper will have spotted that the MG Car Club got a bit of a mention recently. Well, in more ways than one, of course, we led the tributes in Classic Car Weekly to Don Hayter, as we just me- mentioned there. Uh, but also, there was a small news piece on the southwest centre of the MG Car Club, and they're one of the oldest centres uh, within the MG Car Club, uh, being founded shortly after the club was founded in the 1930s. I'm asking for volunteers the Kimber Classic Trial. Now, when the um, MG Car Club in the Southwest started back in 1936, October the 7th, by the way, very close to the anniversary of the club itself, just six years earlier, um, it was it was attended by Cecil Kimber himself, and he offered a trophy to the centre, and the Kimber Trophy Trial was born, and it still runs to this day. Uh, back then, it was held on the first Boxing Day in 1936. Um, survives to this day, as I say, as the oldest MG Car Club event in the calendar. Uh, but like all events, needs to be run by volunteers. So firstly, it's a just a reminder that, of course, if you want to get involved in motorsport in a very grassroots way, if you haven't experienced trialling before, you fancy giving it a go, the best way to learn about the sport is to volunteer and to ensure that the sport can continue. And also, just to flag up the fact that this is, in our 90th anniversary year, one of the oldest events within the club's calendar. And what a fantastic thing that it runs so many years later and still is a part of MG Car Club life. Um, and it's still looked forward to and supported by many, isn't it, Adam? Yeah, it's a it's a really popular event that gets people from not just the UK, but all over Europe. Um, coming to compete you know there's a there's a big uh, Dutch contingent that we know of that come over every year um, and it is such a it's such a historic event and it's got such a great legacy uh, to it and it would be a shame if without that volunteer support if it wasn't able to continue because you know we've lost so many events already this year um, yeah I 
it's something that I must admit I've never personally had the opportunity to get to. Um, but that's something I think I need to put right. Absolutely. For me, trialling is one of my great loves. It was something that I discovered fairly recently, actually. I did my first Exeter trial in 2015, uh, navigating for a man by the name of Phil Tucker, who very famously uh, competes in that trial in a Triumph TR3A. Not a usual trials car and certainly Triumph never had any history in trialing themselves unlike MG of course and MG in fact ran a works team within trialing uh, in particular with the Exeter and Land's End trials which were sort of cornerstone motorsport events worldwide at the time and this is a sort of mid-1930s so it is absolutely embedded in MG history trialing and for me it is a fantastic form of motorsport so accessible so affordable and so much fun honestly it's the most scared you'll be at 15 mile an hour <laughs> and some of the things that I remember the first time I ever went trialing I looked back on the section that we just completed and that's how trials are laid out they're laid out into sections and then there's navigations in between and the first section, I looked back over my shoulder in utter disbelief that a little 1950 sports car had just done that. Not only that, that the MGs like that I'd seen going up there, the T-types, triple M cars that I'd seen going up before and after us, had also made it up in one piece. And there are some MGs out there trialing that have been trialing since they were new in the mid-1930s. They are proper steep climbs up the side of rocky cliffs and through muddy gorges with holes the size of your car that you have to get through. It is unbelievable that these little vintage cars manage to do so well and compete in these trials to this day so honestly it is an amazing form of motorsport it's something to behold it must survive it must continue within the mg car club so if you can volunteer uh, do get in touch with the mg southwest center their website mgccsw.com or you can email secretary at mgccsw.com and just say look i want to be involved uh and go and help them out it's a really great way of getting into motorsport volunteering to marshal on that event and perhaps you'll be inspired to take part yourself and of course there is such massive history uh, the famous cream cracker mgs were a works team that i know cecil kimball he placed a particular importance on trialing because it just showed how the mgs were resilient and tough little sports cars basically that could do fast stuff safely as the the famous motto goes and these were a team of mg cars they were used they were pa cars uh 1934 1935 season had uh, mg pas and later on they went on to the pb midgets in the 35 and 36 season and they were called the cream crackers because they were painted in brown and cream that famous sort of brown and cream livery that was synonymous with the great western railway that was based just down the road from abingdon it's an important part of mg history i know those guys are particularly enthusiastic about it aren't they adam yeah they are and it is like you say it is proper grassroots motorsport and it's indelibly linked with mg's history and and made mg so popular in those early years that really helped the the mark get a foothold 
in in the market so um yeah it's something we need to protect it's something we need to nurture it's something we need to try and help young people get involved in be that marshalling or be that competing so yeah do get in touch with the southwest center well in 1938 they moved on to ta midgets as the uh, new mgs came through and amazingly some of those cars both from the 1938 1937 and even the early 1934-35 trial season still exist and one was up for sale probably about a decade ago at bonham's auctions still in its beautiful cream and brown livery and just testament to the fact that those pre-war mgs are tough cookies man they can deal with this stuff (laughs) incredible let's make sure this former motorsport continues get in touch with them if you can volunteer your time at mgccsw.com now then adam you've been digging about in kimber house amongst the archives getting dusty (laughs) what have you found this week (laughs) So this week we are heading back to the 1950s and I have got an invitation for you, Wayne, to the original press launch for the MGA Twin Cam. Nice. So this will be 1958, I'm guessing then. So yes, so it's July 1958, July the 14th specifically, um, and we are heading down to, uh, is it Cobham or Chobham? Chobham, I think, but we'll get corrected if we get that wrong. I think it's Chobham. Okay, I'm sure sure someone will correct us. Um, And we're heading down for uh, a demonstration day, courtesy of the Nuffield organisation. If you can arrive for 11 o'clock, that would be super. And how will you know Uh, it's me, Adam? Well, I'll know it's you because everyone's going to be issued with different coloured buttonholes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, arrive at 11 for, for morning coffee in the marquee. So there'll be three groups uh, on the uh, on the test, uh, one with yellow buttonholes, one with white buttonholes, and one with red buttonholes. And uh, you'll get to uh, to do everything from uh, three laps of, uh, of, a, of a course. Uh, you'll be able to test the car's handling on a snake course. And you'll also get to go out on the test slopes to see uh, what the cars are like uphills and, and down dale, if you will. So the whole day starts at 11 and runs through until uh, just after 3 o'clock, I think. So, uh, yeah, what a, what, a, what a great day. Well, I think what you have missed out there is, of course, our safety briefing. And it's very important that we stay safe on this day out in uh, summer 1958. And uh, the message is that all drivers of MGA twin cams must consider themselves as being in faster cars. And so must stay on the right all the time to overtake everyone, presumably. Uh, <laughs> uh, but please watch your rear quarters when re-entering track control and use your electric indicators. <gasps> wow. Ooh. Replaced semaphores uh, well in advance, because, of course, we're right at the forefront of technology here. Uh, that's excellent. I'm looking forward to this. So this is the Twin Cam MGA, and it was kind of a no-brainer but that never got made, wasn't it? They made just over 2,000 of them for memory, and they were produced for about two years. I think they ended in 1960. But never really took off in terms of their support from within the factory for some reason. Um, I suppose it wasn't a particularly easy engine to build. It was probably rather an expensive engine to build. And in the end... As part of the Nuffield rationalisation of 1960, it all got canned. Such a shame, because had that engine ended up in the MGB, 
it had been a lot quicker car, presumably. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the twin cam does have a bit of a reputation of being unreliable as well, doesn't it? Which isn't really true. Um, I mean, you've got to remember that at the time, sort of MG were at the forefront of technology with this twin cam engine. But yeah, it is a, sadly a missed opportunity again for MG where once again, they suffered at the hands of, of budgets and, and financial guidance rather than what was best to develop the cars and push the cars forward. But yeah, like you say, a, a twin cam MGB would have been really something in 1960. They were all trying to emulate the power and performance that was coming out of Italy at the time with the Alfa Romeo twin cams that were starting to make a real name for themselves on the rallies of Europe. And even Triumph, MG's arch rivals over in Coventry there, were experimenting with a twin cam engine at the very same time, of course, that raced in the 1959 Le Mans with the TR3Ss and later the TRSs that would be eventually become the TR4, of course. They all had the famous Sabrina twin cam engines. And whilst the term Sabrina in MG circles is used to refer to the big rubber overriders on MG Midgets in Triumph Circle, Sabrina refers to a twin cam engine. And Sabrina being a 1950s model by the name of Norma, <laughs> who had, uh, well, she was well endowed in the lady department. Let's leave it at that. And she became synonymous with all sorts of things that bulged. British motor industry at the time was trying to keep up with the performance they were seeing in Europe with those twin cam engines. And none of the British manufacturers really managed to get on top of it, of course, apart from Jaguar, who successfully put their XK twin cam engine into production and did very well with it in the E-Type and all of the XK series. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting phase in the British motor industry that the MGA really personified for us. And what a lovely day we had demonstrating it in the summer of 1958, Adam. Thank you for that invite. No problem. <laughs> the MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.co.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, Danny Hopkins, editor of Practical Classics magazine, is no stranger to most in the MG Car Club. Of course, a very enthusiastic supporter of the MG Car Club and editor of a magazine that celebrates its 40th anniversary this year, just as we're celebrating our 90th. I caught up with Danny Hopkins to ask him how the magazine had changed, what his vision for the future was, and to share some funny memories with us about his own ownership of MGs, plus his memory of meeting the legendary Don Hater. I started, though, by asking Danny just how the Practical Classics team had coped working together and producing a magazine under the COVID-19 restrictions. We start the day every day with a team's call and we finish the day off with a team's call to make sure that everybody's happy with what's going on. Um, we, and if in that day we need more contact with each other, we just we just speak to each other through through our, our, our machines. I have to admit, we've worked really well doing it. And I think the workplace has probably changed um, for good because of this. Uh, I don't think we'll probably end up going back into a big office together, big open plan office. We'll probably keep the workshop and work through teams. And it, it's been really productive. So it's good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of publishers and businesses in the wider world that are coming to that conclusion as well. But you, as a magazine, yeah. have always embraced 
social media and the online world and one of the spin-offs yeah. of course is Skillshack and you mentioned the fantastic workshop facilities that you have at Practical Classics and that has given you the ability to really share some special knowledge in a unique mm. way with the readers hasn't it? Yeah well we're lucky in that we've got we've got a brilliant relationship with the readers and we get so much content from them so many stories from them we just get too many to put in the mag so actually social media is important to us because it means we can share the stuff that doesn't go into the main products and um, and and you know put the name out there in social media land every magazine every brand needs to do that these days because so much is done through facebook and instagram and, and twitter as well um but um skills track is part of that yeah definitely we we've got about 150 videos now up there uh all different in, instructional videos for people it's for people for, with great expertise and people with none you can just search your way through it and and uh it's also delivered by real experts. So you, you don't have to worry about the fact that you're watching a fat, hairy American getting it wrong. Um, <laughs> you, you, you can pretty much guarantee, you can pretty much guarantee that it's, it's correct and uh, that, that, you know, you can follow what we do and get, get stuff right. So it's, yeah, Skillshack's part of what we do. It's, it, it's an important part, as is the Practical Classics, Classic Car and Restoration Show, which, you know, our name's above the door and we've really, really missed it this year and we've all got our fingers crossed for next year. Really hope it can carry on uh, as normal. And if not, we might need to run it next summer, but we're still aiming for March. Fingers crossed, but we've got to get that vaccine soon. Yeah, but of course you are out there talking to people on the ground on a daily basis within the classic car community. What's the general <clears> feel out there that you've picked up on through the pages of Practical Classics and through your readers on uh, on the events that people are missing out on and how it's changed people's behaviour towards their cars and their hobby? The first thing to say, Wayne, is I think the general feeling I've got out there is thank God I've got this hobby. Because it is one of those one of those pastimes which you can still indulge yourself in and socially distance. You know, most of my readers, you know, that, that they finish their projects through lockdown because you can. Um, a lot of the specialists I've spoken to, parts are going through the roof. People are buying parts. People are buying stuff to fix their cars with because they're in the shed fixing their cars. Um, and then when you're out there driving, it's again, it's a socially distanced activity. So we're very, very lucky to have this as a pastime. I mean, it's not like you know, if you love football or cricket, you really are stuffed um, because you can't go to live games. But because we do what we do, we, we've still been able to do it. And actually, Practical Classics is a practical mag. We've, we serve the people who spend a lot of time in their sheds, including ourselves. And and actually, actually we've done all right. You know, circulation's held up. And like a lot of the specialists, we're, we're, we're doing OK. And so... Um, so the first the first thing that the response I've had is, thank goodness we've got this hobby. Thank goodness we've got something to do in this period rather than just sit there and watch telly. Um, I think that the next thing is, though, is that there is now an absolute desperation, a hunger to get back out there and meet people again and say hello and talk. Because when we go to these shows, including the Practical Classics, Classic Car and Restoration Show at the NEC, when we go to these shows... It is about showing other people what we've got. It's about getting inspired. It's about buying and selling. It's about all those things, the social aspect of our hobby, which is so important. For me, it's half of it. You know, you've got to get out there and see your mates. You've got to chat to people. You've got to point at things and say, I wouldn't have done it like that. You know, you've got to have having a beer with your friends, having a cup of tea, going and seeing people in their workshops. And, of course, clubs, which is where the MG Car Club comes in. You know, we... we your club, every club, thrives on that social interaction. And 
you know, is it is the thing that has been missing. It's like, you know, someone's chopped our arm off and uh, I, I can't wait for it to come back. I can't wait to be standing in the field with you again at MG Live talking nonsense. Absolutely. Well, like you, we've been celebrating an anniversary this year, 90 years of the MG Car Club this year and 90 years of being a really well-connected family around the world. Um amazing and a fantastic thing that uh, institutions like the mg car club and like practical classics are still going after so many decades obviously you've done a really yeah. uh, great issue uh, earlier on in the year looking at the 40 years of your magazine when you looked back through yeah. those old issues back from number one in 1980 with paul skilleter at the helm i think it was back then how have you seen yeah. that magazine morph evolve and change and uh, were there things that surprised you that have changed over the four decades or actually is the surprise that not much has changed how have you seen it firstly it, you know it's been we've been so sad that we haven't been able to celebrate our 40th anniversary uh, year with our readers we got zoe our first ever restoration which is the pat moss a40 rally car uh, which was uh, practical classics first ever restoration we got her we found her in ireland and then we brought her back She's in the Practical Classics workshop now because we wanted to share her with the readers and bring her out again. And, and she runs and drives and we were going to have her as her, our lead show car this year. And she's just stayed in the workshop. It's been, you know, it's been a tragedy, really. Um, but as for the magazine, over 40 years, the changes come with the metal, Wayne, because what we what we were doing in, the, I think, in the third issue, we had an MGB that was seven years old. You know, and and it it needed work already, but it was it was something which we worked on and which we we put in the mag. So we're when we do cars which are now you know post two thousand and people complain, we say, well, it's what the magazine's always done. Can you believe this? When we were restoring Zoe in those first few issues, and that is a, a historic car. That's the car that Pat Moss won a class in in the, on the Monty. When we were restoring that car in 1980, we had sackfuls of letters from people complaining that we shouldn't be doing moderns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's always been, and at the, we've always done that. We've always pushed back the boundaries of what potentially can be defined as a classic, and that's I think really important because this whole business of ours thrives on nostalgia. And if we want young people to get involved and young people to get engaged, we've got to start featuring cars that they're going to feel nostalgic about. And that means we have to talk about MGZTs. We have to talk about um, cars from you know, BMW E39s. We have to talk about cars which are built after the year 2000 because, firstly, they're really cheap and really good at the moment. So there's a trick not to be missed there. And that's why we've got Banganomics in the magazine. But also, that's where that's the gateway, isn't it? That's the gateway drug for people to come in. And what tends to happen, and I don't know if this has happened to you, it's definitely happened to me, is I started with cars that I remembered as, as a kid. And then I started exploring backwards through time as I got more interested in the whole scene. And you'll find that people who initially join because they feel really nostalgic about their dad's ZT, they'll start looking backwards, maybe through the MG uh, back catalogue. You know, they'll start going backwards through MGFs and they'll go back to MGBs and then maybe even further. And that way you get them through the gateway and into the hobby. And so I've got no apologies about featuring more modern classics. Uh, and in fact, I can make a very exclusive announcement uh, on this podcast that from the the next issue of Practical Classics, that's the February issue, we put together the January issue, but from the February issue of Practical Classics, we're going to be incorporating modern classics in the magazine. And that's the brand modern classics, because sadly, modern classics uh, shut its doors uh, earlier in summer as one of the casualties of COVID. 
but um, we've we've I've been chatting to JJ, the editor, uh, over summer, and we really, really, you know, we really miss it. We think it's an important brand, particularly for the future of the hobby. So uh, Modern Classics is going to be joining with Practical Classics, incorporated into the magazine. Uh, we're going to have a whole section called Model, Modern Classics in the magazine. It's going to be edited by JJ, and we're really, really pleased about that. Great really. news. That's really good news because that magazine was warmly received by new audiences to our hobby and especially those within the MG Car Club that love, you know, the Zeds onwards, really. And, yeah. um, you know, we have a, a, a huge and enthusiastic following even for MG3s and MG6s. Now, if you want an example of a modern classic, it doesn't get much more modern and classic than that, really. No, absolutely. The other thing as well is that, is that modern classics actually back in the day um and i think it was not in the 1990s it, modern classics started as a supplement to practical classics and the first editor of modern classics was david lillywhite would you believe huh, well, so yeah. it's it's it, it's uh, it's like it's almost like it's coming home and you know the magazine's always featured those cars i've owned uh, two three zts myself and featured them on the magazine fleet so it's nothing new but we're just giving it a brand and giving it a bit of identity to hopefully uh, give that uh, modern classics brand uh, all the exposure that it needs, and who knows, it might come back in its own in its own right as a magazine one day. I'd love to, I'd love to think that it would. And you're absolutely right about what you say about gateway drug cars. I love that phrase, and uh, it's the same yeah. for me. I know that. Uh, I was brought in on the sort of cars I grew up with watching my dad tinker with. And, for example, pre-war cars were just those kind of very old vintage-looking cars that I knew nothing about. But, as you say, as I've gone through my sort of classic car career, if you like, you start to explore the back catalogue like you do your favourite band, don't you? And you find all of these gems that were before your time that you never heard of. And, uh, you know, MG Social recently absolutely fell in love with a JT type midget special there it was just gorgeous and i would probably not have known anything about that car but it's the fact that i was brought in on a more modern model i do wonder though since 1980 whether some of those cars are less likely to be used as everyday transport as they were when you read the pages of practical classics 40 years ago is that something you see I, I think that's I think that's true. What what we've what we've found is a typical practical classics reader now has two types of classic. They'll have their they're what we call their chrome classic, which I'll keep in the garage and take to shows. But then they'll have their modern classic, their Bangonomics car, which is why we've introduced Bangonomics into the magazine. Um, and there'll be a car like that. For instance, I'm, at the moment, I'm banging around in a Saab 95 Aero Hot, which is an absolutely fantastic car and quick. And I bought it for 250 quid and I fixed it because it had an engine fault and now it's my daily. So it's, a, you know, the, those cars are still out there. And those are the cars, I think, the modern classics, the cars that are built in the 90s and noughties, which people are, they're, 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 they're interesting. You can work on them. They're cheap. And you can uh, and you can use them every day. So, and in a sense, that is the embodiment of the spirit that Practical Classics was originally uh, designed to serve. Um, and I think that spirit is still there. It's still healthy. Um, and uh, somebody said, this, is, this may be luck, because we, we had a, a pub conversation at the end of the day the other day. We all got a beer at home. We sat on teams and we had a pub conversation. We needed to say, what are, how, do we, how do we know what's classic now? What is, what's, what's the new definition? Because in in, And we worked out that, you know, until 10 years ago, you could say a classic was a car with chrome, all right? It's a loose, very loose definition. And, that, and then I think, actually, you could say nowadays, a classic is a car with a tape deck, okay? It's got a tape deck. It's a classic. And then we said, but hold on, CD player. CD players, surely, because no cars have CD players anymore. So it's 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 like the little the little things that define it, the little things that make you think, yeah, 
that's that's retro. You that won't that you, we will never see that like again, and we'll never see a car with the CD player in it again. So, all these things I think are, are, are worthy of of, of uh, discussion. And actually, if PC is the first to include them, then I consider that a good thing, even if we do get the odd complaint. We'll never stop featuring Austin 7s, but we're always going to be featuring the next generation as well. That's incredibly important for us. And and that means that we've got a tough job because we've got to cover a whole broad spectrum of cars. But it's actually about how you cover them as well. It's about getting, I mean, PC is about getting your, your grease under your fingernails, but it's also about doing it with a sense of humour and no snobbery as well. That's the other thing. If 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 I could say there's one thing defining factor about practical classics, that is there is no snobbery in the magazine. And if anybody wants to be snobbish about the cars that we feature, probably best to read something else. Yeah. Well, that uh, goes for the MG car club as well. We are, uh, we like all comers here and uh, all yeah, sorts of different, time. different types of cars from different eras. And uh, I could throw something else into the mix there for you to discuss on your next pub chat. Actually, I would suggest also another criteria for a classic is whether the uh, plug in the dash is considered, Considered a cigarette lighter or an oh, accessory socket because they're all oh, accessory sockets now yeah. aren't they you know <laughs> yeah if it's got a if it's got a smoky cigarette sign on it it's yeah. a classic exactly i love that yeah there you oh, go oh yes throw that one i'm in nicking that by the way i'm nicking it away and i'm nicking it that's going into the next meeting but i'm going to pretend it was mine <laughs> you, you can have that as my 40th anniversary <laughs> gift to the magazine there you go you're a gent thanks sir perfect <laughs> well it's a magazine that always features mgs and that's why we've got you here that's why we love it as well there's never an issue goes by without an mg somewhere in those pages and i know that you personally danny are an mg fan and an mg owner tell us your mg memories of cars that you've owned through the years what's been the highlight i i I think there are i've owned four mgs over the last uh 20 years um and the two that i'd like to highlight firstly was uh, the mg zt it's now owned by craig cheatham actually but it's it was one of the prototype cars and it was the prototype automatic um and I remembered it, it was a car which I think I brought it along to MG Live when we when we did it together, Wayne. And it, and that for me, it was probably the best car I've ever owned in terms of just all round excellence. It was brilliant to drive. It was really one of the modern classics that I consider connects you with the road better than almost anything else. And everything about it just suited me. It was quick enough. I because it was an auto as well, that auto box was really worked. It worked well. It, it would it changed at the right moment and also you could override it. But I drove that car hard everywhere and it, it never never failed me. And it looked the business. The other thing about the ZT and the 75, just think it's one of the most beautiful cars ever designed. And I'm absolutely convinced that like the E-Type, as the years go on, that car will be seen as a design icon. There is no doubt about that. It's beautiful. And when they when the advert, when they did the advert for the 75 and ZT, and it came, it was it came out of the oil bath. Do you remember mm, that? Advert? I do, yeah, yeah. Now, just perfect. That's exactly that. It's a beautiful car. So that's one of the that, the other car though the, the the mg that okay we've all got them i wish i'd never sold it um i found on ebay about 10 years ago well about no, eight years ago actually an mg uh, bgt le um and it was the car that was originally owned and bought for the current lord montague by his father the previous lord montague and it was but the thing is it was badly described so the description that it was it was lord montague's car came right at the end so I got it quite cheap. It was a resto project, and uh, we restored it on the magazine, did it in the Practical Classics workshop. 
Um, and then I took it down to uh, Bewley to uh, show uh, the current Lord Montague and the previous Lord Montague, who who was very rude about it, but he's he's <laughs> he a terrible calf, he said. Um, but but I, I I you know I think Rafe, current Lord Montague, uh, was was absolutely bowled over to see it again. He was so pleased. But he also said the most aristocratic thing anybody has ever said to me. Um, so he sat in the driver's seat and he went, oh, there, there's the rear seat. He said, yes, he said, not very practical for, for people. He said, but it was a perfect size for my whippet. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wow. thought that is the most aristocratic thing anybody's ever said to me. But that car also um, gave me my favorite day out ever on the magazine. And it's particularly pertinent now. Uh, because he's just passed away and that's uh the day i went to see don hater with it and um i you know we are paying tribute to him in the next issue um a, a wonderful man uh and a a design genius i think um a quiet genius uh, an uncelebrated man in some ways but um i went to see him uh with it and i, I feel quite emotional talking about this weird isn't it but he was firstly incredibly gracious and welcoming secondly once he worked out that i wasn't an, an idiot well at least not that much of an idiot he was he started letting me see some of his little treasures and there was a moment in our in our chat and i spent a long time a long whole day with him he signed he signed the bootlid actually which is a very gracious thing for him to do but i was sitting downstairs with a cup of tea and he said hold on and he went upstairs and he came downstairs and he had a rolled up piece of paper with him, big, long rolled up piece of paper. And he put it on the table and it was the blueprint for the MGBGT with handwritten notes by Pin and Farina. Um, and he talked about the things that he changed after this particular blueprint, because there's another one I know at Gaiden. But as he unrolled it and as he talked about it, all the hairs were standing up on the back of my neck. And I thought to myself, this is why I love being a journalist, because you get to see and experience things that, uh, that you can't put a price on. Um, and so he, he chatted, chatted to me about it and, and told me the stories of the car's development. He also told me some of his stories. Did you know he was a bomb? He was training to be a bomb aimer for the RAF when they yanked him out of the skies and took him back to Cowley, uh, to work on, 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 on the war machine. And he, he said, yeah, he was going to go into bombers. We might not have been here. We might not have got the MGB. He tells me that he, he was, it was a bomb aimer and they were tra on training flights in Blenheims flying out of Abingdon. Um, and they used to fly down and bomb Ilfracombe virtually and then fly back. Um, <laughs> and he said at one time he, he flew back and he, they found themselves in the midst of a squadron of German bombers that had just been down to Bristol docks. Um, and he said that his instructor very carefully said, we're going to go and fly into that cloud and we're not coming out for a bit because <laughs> they had no guns, nothing to defend themselves with. But he just he just regaled me with stories all day. And I sat back and soaked it up because i just thought you know when you're in the presence of greatness and and they're being so gracious then the the, the one thing you do is you listen um and the, the other thing he told me and i'll just tell you this one quickly as well um uh we we had um he, he talked about gerald palmer you know gerald palmer who designed the jarrett javelin and the the z z a um and he he said to me he said i worked with him I went, really? He went, yeah, after after he did his last job for, for BL, which was the anglicisation of the Triumph Acclaim, and he said to me, I didn't have a big budget. Um, he said uh, he went and designed, did some work for uh, Nuffield, designing disabled hoists for, for people to get in and out of bars and swimming pools. And he went into a room 
was called into a meeting. He was doing the, the arm and the upright, and he was going into a meeting with the guy who was designing the cradle and, and the, the bit that holds the electric motor. He walked into a room, and there's Gerald Palmer, and they designed it together. So two of the greatest British car designers of the 20th century ended up working on one project together, and it was a disabled hoist to get people in and out of baths. Incredible. And there are thousands of them around the country. Isn't that amazing? That is. And that stuff is like that. But, but the thing is, I sat there thinking, what a, what a man, and uh, what, a, what an absolute quiet legend. And it is always the way that the real legends are the quiet ones. So rest in peace, uh, you know, Don. And, and, and it was an absolute pleasure meeting you. Mm. Oh, it's a brilliant memory, that, Danny. And I think that's what comes through when we read your articles in Practical Classics and when we see you out and about. It is as much about the cars as it is about the people behind them, whether that be an owner yeah. or a designer or someone that was involved with the production. And what's great is that we get to tell those stories, isn't it? And show the pride yeah. that people have in their work, the craftsmanship on offer. Yeah, I, I think there's there's so much in this this business which is about the people as well as the metal, and and I know that you know we where we can celebrate the owner as well as the car, and and particularly with practical classics, where so many of the owners worked on so many aspects of the cars that they actually own, they're as much a part of that vehicle as anyone. So you know they need to be part of the story. It, it I often get a little bit I don't want to say bored, but I get a bit frustrated looking at things online where it's it's simply just car 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 car. Want to hear a little bit about the person who goes with it, uh, because that just contextualizes it and, and makes a story more interesting for me anyway. One thing your uh, your stories do uh, prove is that the MG brand transcends all classes, from whippets to people who <laughs> patch up rusty holes <laughs> on the side of the street. Been very very generous, Danny, in your 40th anniversary year to come along to MG Car Club members and offer um, a massive discount on subscriptions, a huge 40% off. And this is uh, mm. all part of a celebration of you embracing the clubs that support the magazine, isn't it? Well, yeah. And it is also, you know, we, we know that you've got a, 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 an anniversary this year as well. Um, and, you know, you're you're much older than we are. So we, def we doff our caps in your general direction and defer to your greatness. But, um, yeah, we thought it's an obvious thing to do. Let's, let's, let's hook up and, and do it. We actually, two people were hooking, the two organisations we're hooking up with this year, yourselves and Haynes, because Haynes are um, 60 years old this year. And uh, bizarrely, it was a toss-up between Haynes and EMAP. Uh, who was going to originally publish uh, Practical Classics when Paul Skilleter had the idea back in 1980. So Haynes, because we, 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 we are, we're kind of a kind of, if you imagine a sort of magazine program born out of a Haynes manual, that's what we are. So so we're doing an offer with them that we've got 40% uh, um, off Haynes manuals through Practical Classics. But our, our offer with you, it just seemed like a no-brainer because, you know, we there's never an issue without an MG. Um, you are, you know, I think if you were going to, the Holy Trinity, MG, Triumph, Ford and Jag, um, we, never will there be a Practical Classics without them in it. And uh, we, we will always have an MG on the fleet. So Matt, Matt, Matt Tompkins, MG, BGT, he was driving it only yesterday to the, to the workshop. I don't have an MG on my fleet at the moment, which is remiss of me. So I shall, I, I shall remedy that at the uh, soonest possible occasion. But we are very, very much uh, tied in with the club and particularly the MG Car Club. I've been down to Kimber many times. I know Adam very well. Um, it is uh, a bit of a second home for us. So, you know, it seemed like the natural thing to do. And I hope, I hope uh, if anybody's not, not uh, read the magazine for a while, I hope, uh, I hope you can come back to it and enjoy it because it's a really good offer. 
if you if you come back to it and you, and you want to provide me with feedback, please do because we, our, our email addresses are published in every issue. Our phone numbers are in every issue. We love to hear from people about what we're doing right and about what the readers want to see more or less of. So you know we're an open door and uh, and and come and join us. I think the other thing as well, and this is really important. People say, "Crikey, how come print survives?" A lot of us spend a lot of time on screens now, more than we've ever done before, thanks to COVID. And I love getting a magazine in just because it gives me a break, you know, it gives me a break from look at that glowing light. I want to go and sit down somewhere quiet and just leaf through a mag old school. Um, and I and I think that's actually a lovely break from from our working and social lives as they are at the moment. So good time to do it. Really good offer. Probably never be repeated. So give it a go. Well, you can find out more about that offer via mgcc.co.uk. It's on the news pages of the website there, and you can click through and use your member's login to find out the details of how you take advantage of that 40% offer on the subscription for 12 months of Practical Classics magazine. And um, I've got to ask a question from Adam for you. Um, Well, he'll he'll shoot me for asking you this, but we've got to sort him out (laughs) with one because he's becoming obsessed, and that is that he wants an MG30 okay we've got to find one for him so will you promise to keep your eyes peeled through the pc collective to find him one (laughs) i certainly will god that's a car i'd love one as well i don't don't blame him um happy days yeah i shall i shall get that i think i think the mg 1300 is a proper uh gentleman about town's um gadding machine isn't it It, 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 it's it's it's, it cuts a a fine rakish stance and uh i i I would definitely go for one yeah good choice but uh, if we hear of one and uh after i've checked my bank balance i'll pass it on to him yeah that's i mean you don't have to you don't have to ask him for permission um just turn up at kimber house leave it in the car park with the bill and i'm sure he'll sort it with you later (laughs) yeah i i I could absolutely do that i could be his broker his mg1300 broker for brilliant oh danny it's been fantastic having you on the mg car club podcast of course uh, hopefully we'll look forward to being at mg live again together at some point in the future and uh, we'll get out and about and see people in the flesh uh, but as you look yes. back over your tenure as editor of practical classics and as you look forward uh, for the years ahead what do you think has been the secret of success so far and what do you hope the magazine will represent in years to come I th- I mean, I started writing for Practical Classics 21 years ago, and I was on staff till 2005, took a break, came back as editor in 2010. So I've been editing it for 10 years. And um, I still I still come to work and learn things every day. And I don't think that'll ever stop. Keeping an open mind and being inquisitive is, is, is food for me. And I think it's food for a lot of people who love their classics as well. As far as I'm concerned, the most important thing is, is that we keep our right to drive and use our classics uh, uh, on the road we keep that right and we we lobby for it so we're, we're always you know talking to people in positions of power to help make sure that happens uh, i think we're, we're such a big industry and we're so important to uk plc that i don't see us ever being forced off the road there might be restrictions there might be difficult times but we just got to keep vigilant and keep fighting and keep t- and keep making making the case as well you know we're a huge industry and also we're an industry which inspires young people to get into engineering so if anybody tells you that what we do isn't green firstly say it's the ultimate form of recycling because it is and secondly say it's a great way of getting young people inspired to become engineers because obviously there is a climate crisis and obviously it's it's man-made much of it is anyway but how are we going to solve it are we going to solve it by recycling our tin cans well it will help 
but it won't solve it. What will solve it will be a brilliant idea coming from a great engineer and a great engineer who might well have started tinkering with a classic car in a garage with their dad or mum. Okay, so we are inspiring people who might well solve the problem that we're in. And if we start taking that away, then, you know, we might be cutting our nose off to spite our face. So, as I say, it's the ultimate form of recycling. We have got a future. Uh, it might change. It might morph. But um, I think as long as we stick together and keep talking as well, then I think we'll be okay. So, for, for me, the future magazine is good. The future of the magazine is rosy. I expect to be here in 40 years' time uh, with my Zimmer frame at the ripe old age of 90. Um, <laughs> maybe not editing, but I'll definitely have a column. Um, and 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 basically the 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 practical classics recipe of uh no snobbery a sense of humor real fascination and interest and and also a celebration of all classics old and new that that, that recipe i don't think is ever going to fail and i expect to be here cooking it for as long as possible amen to that danny hopkins editor of practical classics magazine thanks for joining us the MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. Another week and another set of marvellous products in the MG Car Club shop supplied to us by Inica, who keeps us up to date with all of the new stuff going on in the shop and i guess this is kind of a last call for these adam isn't it i've got mine it is stunning by the way i love this in fact it's probably too nice to fit to a car actually because it comes in a lovely presentation box with its little uh, certificate of authenticity there it is of course the mg car club 90th anniversary grill badge and the large ones well there's not many of them left so hurry up and get yours now is the message i think basically yes uh we actually thought we'd sold out um but um we had a bit little bit of a mix up here and miscounted so we do have a very very limited stock left so if you're after one um now is the time um speak now or have forever hold your peace as they say so if you do want one this really is the last chance to grab one absolutely they are really really nice don't miss out once they're gone they're gone um, no more are being made and if you have got one of the later cars like a Z or maybe an MGF and you want one as well don't order the large one they're not going to fit they won't fit your cars get a small one instead the small anniversary grill badge is especially designed for the later cars they're also available via shop.mgcc.co.uk and also this is an interesting one a what's this a conference file Adam explain yeah, so you want somewhere to keep your your documents, your papers. Maybe you're out on a on a Navascat rally, or you know you're out on a you know you need a set of navigators notes. Um, this is a basically a document folder um, that you can pop all those papers in. Perhaps you keep some paperwork in the car. Um, you need somewhere safe to keep it. Perfect. We like it. All of these items and more available via shop.mgcc.co.uk. Don't forget, of course, Christmas is coming. We'll be into November before you know it. And of course, with all the shops in lockdown and goodness knows whether we're allowed out or have to stay in, who knows? Much better and much easier just to 
order some nice MG memorabilia and some merchandise via the MG Car Club shop. Do your shopping for Christmas from home? Well, it's much easier. It's less stressful. You can have a look at some of our news articles while you're there as well. Shop.mgcc.co.uk is the place to go. Or, of course, follow the links from our weekly newsletter that arrives in your inbox every weekend. I think... Adam, that is just about it for this week's MG Car Club podcast. So, from me, Wayne Scott, see ya. From me, Adam Sloman, see you soon. Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk. 